Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Mean Girls. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, as we talk about a whole bunch of other stuff. But if you do listen to the podcast without having seen the film, just be aware that some elements of the content will be spoiled for you. Enjoy. Sorry that I'm a minute late. I um, I was sat on the creaky chair, and then I had to had to take a minute to go and get the non creaky chair. <laughs> don't say that I don't care about my listeners. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Although I'm terribly disappointed that you're a minute late. Not gonna lie. Yeah, you're gonna punish me. <laughs> oh dear. How are you anyway? You're right. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Did you have a good Easter? Yes, I did. Um, didn't do a lot. It was kind of a boring one. We did a big clear out and went to Brighton and went to Lewis and stuff like that. So didn't do anything too extravagant. How about you? Yeah, sounds nice. Yeah, it was good. Well, I had the week off. So today oh, very was nice. my first um, day back at work, but it wasn't too bad because it's school holidays. So a lot of people are off. So it was quite quiet. I could catch up. But that was good. We um, Claire's cousin got married weekend before last and then me and Claire's brother and Claire's cousin Andy went to Dublin and we we're in Dublin for a couple of days flying visit went around the, around the Wicklow mountains spent some time in Ireland it was it was nice very brief but yeah but nice oh lovely yeah and then we had Easter itself obviously so I had a get together with my family on the Sunday Easter Sunday big big lunch golf club buffet with a huge bowl piled high with crackling can't go wrong. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, you can't beat that. Yeah, so it was all very nice. I've got to say that, you know, for someone who loves chocolate, and you know that I love chocolate, I'm actually not super down with Easter. Or should I say, I don't love Easter, baby. Oh. Why is that, do you reckon? Because it creeps up on you. Do you not find that? <laughs> I think like, the the unpredictability of it. Is, there's not that constant that you get with other holidays. Yeah, that it is really weird, isn't it? It's 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 a troll holiday. It it it's trolling you. It's trolling all of us every year. It's like, oh yeah, it's the first Sunday after the seventh full moon after I drank the blood of a gopher and the groundhog came out of the ground and then shouted and then went away and then it's the first full moon after that. Yeah, it's nonsense. <laughs> it's nonsense. That that's entirely accurate in terms of um, how the pagans initially had their their version of Easter. <laughs> well, you know, I'm I went to Catholic school, so I'm allowed to say whatever I want about like Christian mythology, and I can tell you that that's exactly how it all goes down. <laughs> that is me. that is how it works. If you've ever partaken in any kind of Christian belief, you then are given full reign to insult it as much as possible and criticize yeah. it as much as possible. No, only if you went to Catholic school. Any other denominations, Baptists, get out of here. <laughs> they cannot touch our religion. <laughs> How dare they? Yeah. Baptists know nothing about Easter. They're too busy being happy and singing anyway. And being called John. Being called John. 
Yeah, they're all called John. <laughs> Even the women. <laughs> That's like um, Princess Michael of Kent. It's the same thing. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> but also, Easter chocolate has gotten smaller. And I know that's a kind of like very stale, grumpy old men bit to say. But I'll take a picture of this. So I'll post it. Look at this feeble bag of mini eggs that it's, I got it's in, in an Easter egg. Like that would have been a full bag of mini eggs just a couple of years ago. But look at this. It's, it's like it's not even the size of the palm of my hand. When we so were gonna, children. I, in fact, when we were children, the government would deliver a bean bag full of mini eggs to every child in the country. And then you'd sit on it and you'd put your hand into it and you'd pull out mini eggs. And Easter would only end when you'd eaten your entire bean bag. And that's yeah. how they used to do it in this country. Then new Labour came along and they stopped all of that. Thank you, Tony Blair. <laughs> and then the European Union came along and we had to join it and... They enforced their tiny mini egg rule. There are there are nine mini eggs in this bag. I'm counting them. Nine. Nine you, mini eggs. Yeah, you, you had two options. The EU gave us two options. You could either have small bags of mini eggs or you could have bean bags full of milk or chocolate. And obviously being true patriots, uh, the government chose to go with tiny bags of Cadbury's mini eggs. Yeah, even though obviously. even though empirically Milka is the best chocolate, Milka is far superior to Cadbury's. And if you don't believe that, you are a Brexit voting Rees-Moggian fool. <laughs> <laughs> I wholeheartedly Milka. Mil, I don't know if I've said it on this on this podcast before that Milka is my favourite kind of chocolate. I love Milka chocolate. Um, it is delicious. It's so good. So so good. I mean, I like Cadbury's as well. I do Somehow, as well, actually, yeah. The, um, when you get the Cadbury's Easter egg, something about it being quite thin compared to the size of, say, a dairy milk normally actually makes it taste better, and I don't know why. Yeah, or maybe it is just the excitement of unwrapping it when it's shaped like a large hollow egg. No, you're, you're, you're completely right, and it comes down to the fact that Cadbury's chocolate's got a very strong flavour to it. It's incredibly like sugar and milk rich. Um, so actually having a Cadbury's bar where it's quite thick is a bit overwhelming and it takes away from the overall quality of the taste experience. Whereas when mm. you've got it in an egg and you've got that very thin slither, uh, it's it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, Cadbury's egg chocolate is the best kind of Cadbury's chocolate. It is very good. Apart from mini and eggs, which are Mini amazing. eggs are good. I've eaten... Wait, look at this one. It's like looks like someone's nibbled it. <laughs> it's like you know in um science class when you get um a diagram of a planet and it's like cut through the side is to cut to the core of the planet it looks like that cut to the core of the mini egg <laughs> i'm still gonna eat it of course yeah yeah mini eggs are very good yeah they are um yeah easter chocolate in general is really good um i've eaten a fair bit of easter chocolate too much yeah. than i probably should have but there's still loads left and it's reached the point where it's like, oh, I can't continue eating this chocolate. Nice. And then that's when you start palming it off on your colleagues. And then that's mm. when the people like me, who, you know, managed to get away with only getting sort of two or three eggs from people, mostly people sensible. And some people in my family gave us like plants and stuff, which was really nice, really nice alternative. People are starting to think outside the Easter egg box. But 
you know, it means that when if you, a couple of days time, when my colleagues all get bored of their Easter chocolate and start bringing it into the office, I am going to be raking it in. <laughs> You'll be it will be like a guy in prison with the most cigarettes. You'll be there hoarding <laughs> your Easter chocolate. Yes, office work is definitely very prison like. It's true. Um, you have your your break time for physical activities. Um, yeah. I regularly get tattoos on my face while at the office. They <laughs> walk around in an orange jumpsuit. Yeah. Um, fashion a shiv out of various pencils. That kind of thing. <laughs> Tunnel out. <laughs> yeah. At the end of every day, it's like the great escape. It's it, the music uh, yeah. starts playing. <laughs> every single day is like uh, the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> Big and emotional. Yeah, um, I'm just imagining it at your work, Paddy, where there's um, like a, a a poster of Stephanie Meyer, and someone walked <laughs> past your cubicle, or, or I'm not sure if you have cubicles or if you've got an open plan, but someone walks past your hypothetical cubicle and pulls the poster down and sees that you've tunneled a hole out of it into the wall, and they look and see that you've gone down <laughs> to, to freedom. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. We don't even have cubicles, just desks. But yeah, yeah under my desk, there's a lot of crap. So I could easily be hiding a tunnel out of there. There we go. Yeah, we we've the got fi- um, the fifth floor of the building. We're 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 relatively open plan as well, um, which I think is nicer. Like, yeah. So there's sort of like the occasional little divide between teams and things like that, but not really. It's not really like little boxes like you get in some office jobs. Sometimes you take the cushions off the chairs and you make a cushion fort. Well, exactly. I mean, what Fight else are you, you going to do at work apart from cushion forts and the occasional shiving? Exactly. That's, that's hard labour. Yeah, exactly. It's part of my contract. Yeah. Must build at least five cushion forts a year. <laughs> so so one, one thing that didn't have enough cushion forts... Uh, mean Girls. Yeah, not a single cushion fort to be had. And there are plenty of opportunities as well. But, you know, as I always say, 2004, the year it was released, was a very, very different time. Back then, if you bought a mini eggs egg, not only would there be like a couple of packets of mini eggs in the bottom of the, the cardboard box, there'd also be one inside the hollow Cadbury's egg as well. And now these days, hollow egg, tiny mini eggs, done. And and do you feel as though Lindsay Lohan is at least partly to blame for the Definitely. downturn in Easter eggs? It's all her fault. <laughs> Something time. to do with her Easter egg-related breakdown or whatever. It's entirely her fault. Entirely her fault for deliberately targeting um, targeting Easter egg manufacturers across the world. Yeah, but I feel like she's she's made up for it by. I don't know. Actually, I haven't seen her in a film in a very, very long time. But I gather she's back on the up. Or she's been doing a lot of theatre. Is that right? Um, I don't know whether it's another false dawn um, for her. Um, and it's a very, it's a very sad story of, uh, again, of a, a a teen star, a young star, kind of being taken advantage of and manipulated. Um which is a bit of a shame but yeah I'm not sure whether it's a fal- a false dawn as such the last thing I remember hearing about her being in 
um was uh wasn't she in some kind of Elizabeth Taylor TV movie oh, a few years a few that was a few years ago I think I honestly can't remember any of her roles apart from Mean Girls and The Parent Trap and that's probably very unfair of me but they're just they're not coming to mind right now she was but maybe that's because it's the end of a working day she was also in um the Herbie remake movie <laughs> I don't uh, think I've ever seen Herbie it. Fully Loaded she was in. <laughs> Does she play a herb? <laughs> a- an herb. <laughs> Does she yeah. Do they, they actually call it Herbie? I think they call it Herbie. Surely not. I don't uh, yeah, I think it's Herbie uh, not they call Herb- it. Herbie. Yeah, I, I haven't <laughs> I haven't watched that movie in a very long time though. Or the originals, which I don't think I've seen since I was single digit age. Yeah, um, same. Yeah, so I'm I'm just having a look at she was in Sick Note, apparently the um, the Rupert Grint comedy series. Did you hear about that? Oh, I there was a very very large poster for it under a bridge um, in Surbiton near the station that I had to walk past a couple of times on my way to work, and it looked kind of freaky and strange. And I thought I don't want to watch it. No offense to Rupert Grint, but it wasn't a great poster. So you know they... when a poster is just too big. Yeah. It's too big, uh, too much of a focus on one person's face, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, I mean, it wasn't a Ready Player One leg that's as big as an entire person situation, <laughs> but <laughs> it was getting there. So, because Sick Note is, isn't it, he gets, people think he's going to die, but he's not. But then he pretends that he is still, so that he gets treated nicer by people is that is that the general premise uh, he's he's faking being terminally ill yeah isn't that it hilarious i don't, I don't think he's he <laughs> i don't think he sort of turns turns around one day and says you know what i'm gonna pretend that i'm dying i think it's like an right. accidental thing a lie gets out of hand yeah um so like and then I, a, a lie low gets out of hand <laughs> so so she is uh, Lindsay Lohan's going to be in a movie called The Shadow Within this year, which is a horror slash crime movie. Uh, a private investigator must unravel the murder of her uncle while keeping the secret that she is a descendant from a line of werewolves. Cool. Um, I'm on board with this. That sounds yep. really good fun. Um, She's a wolf boy. Uh, yeah, wolf wolf girl. Why can't she be a wolf boy if she wants to be a wolf Well, she boy? can be a wolf boy if she wants to be a wolf boy, but I'm not sure whether she'd want to, It would, given her other uh, her other gender roles in previous roles, I don't necessarily think she wants to be misgendered as a wolf boy. This is true. When there's the no perfectly question. viable option of being a wolf girl. Um, I just want to welcome her into our club. The <laughs> wolf boys club doesn't wolf have to be single gender. Um. This is true. We're not. We don't discriminate on the basis of gender. Exactly. Anybody can join. But yeah, apart from that, I can't see her having been in anything on IMDb since 2015, and then it was a short. Um, she had one role in Two Broke Girls. Um. So yeah. So maybe uh, maybe she is doing other stuff at the moment. I'm not sure. I never saw Two Broke Girls, but you know who loves that show? Who loves that show? My great uncle Frank. Oh, really? It's, it's one of his faves. The eighty-year-old oh, wow, man. Okay. It's, it's one of his favourite shows. 
Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I've um, I've only watched a few episodes here and there. Um, but uh, but Cat Dennings is in a movie that I really like. So I kind of have this subconscious endearing quality to Two Broke Girls. Um, because, yeah, yeah. Cat, Cat Dennings is in... Um, I can't remember the name of the film at the moment. Um, oh, what's it called? Uh, Suburban Gothic, which is this very odd little horror comedy um, about this guy who has to move back home with his parents, but he's got sort of vague supernatural psychic powers so he can communicate with ghosts. Um, and there's these weird ghosts that are haunting his house. And so oh. it's kind of... it's a it's kind of silly, kind of sweet, kind of stupid, kind that of kind of clever. Um, with uh, with I think he's a you're a fan of his Matthew Gray Goobler, who was in Ma- uh, Ma- Matthew Gray Goose. Matthew Gray Goose, yes. <laughs> who was who was one of the <laughs> yeah, friends in Five Hundred Days of Summer? I think you I think you've mentioned you're a fan of him before. Have I? I d- I don't remember ever saying that. I think you, maybe maybe I'm thinking of someone else. I thought you did at some point. Um, Let's see. Wait, there's the friends in Five Hundred Days of Summer. There's the flatmate one who looks like a a young Steve Buscemi. Um, and then there's are there other friends? I can only remember the the Buscemi-ish one. <laughs> Everyone only remembers the Buscemi-ish one. Um, it's obviously the friends obviously really made an impression on me. <laughs> I could have sworn it was you who said that you liked that guy. Maybe it was somebody else. <laughs> Um, maybe I liked his performance in that maybe, film. Maybe you the, did the the one that I remember so well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, and uh, and yeah, it's kind of a silly film. But yeah, so I like I, I like that, and it's from a director I like, and so like I have this soft spot for her as an actress because she's in this movie that no one else has seen, um, mm. which is which is quite good. Um, Sounds cool. But yeah, anyway, uh, Mean Girls is a film. Yeah. I just googled Lindsay Lohan, and apparently there was an April Fool's Day prank saying that she was going to speak at the Harvard Union. Um, like, I think it's that's actually kind of mean. Why couldn't she speak at the Union? I'm sure they've had they've had much worse people. They've probably had a bunch of right wing lunatics. But she's actually the kind of person who might have an interesting story to tell. But what but who, do I know? Uh, who would you rather see speak, uh, her or Jordan Peterson? <laughs> well, actually, I would love to see her debate Jordan Peterson. That'd be amazing. I think she'd probably wipe the floor with him. It would be really funny. Yeah, especially as all he does is he gets angry and says stuff like this. And nah, 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 nah. <laughs> oh, I hate him so much. I read a thing recently from like a gender studies professor saying that his work is making her life really difficult. Because students who are engaging with his work are less prepared to engage with complex work and they're taking it. Because basically his work is the sort of book academic equivalent of manufactured Twitter outrage. And that students are now just coming into everything with kind of really angry, simplistic takes and not engaging with the complexity of stuff. And they think that that's all okay because he's a professor. It's, uh, I hate him so much. He represents, you know, anti-intellectualism of the worst kind, but masquerading as intellectualism. It's like he, you know, the the anti-intellectualism in something like, 
you know, Brexit, we've had enough of experts discourse is one thing. But then there's a whole other thing to be anti-intellectual when you are supposedly the most influential public intellectual. He's full of shit. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is... Uh... Yeah, I'd say that's an accurate depiction of him. I think of him and as a sort of like he's he's written about things in an unbelievably simplistic way with one thing in mind which is basically making a a popularist but inaccurate representation of a philosophy and a area of study that he doesn't really know anything about. Yeah. Um which is I don't know, it's I think it's a bit disingenuous of him. As someone who does come from an academic background, I think he should have known better. Um He absolutely does know better, but he's doing it for the likes. He's he's going after them for Chan likes. Yeah. Um because they're known for being in- incredibly unfickle as an audience. <laughs> Very reasonable and normal people. <laughs> Who do not live in their parents' basement, and and that's that's kind of a problem. Is that like the people who go on 4chan and stuff like that, and like the right wing, the far right, like Reddit groups and things like that? It's not just basement dwelling sociopaths. It's everybody, and that, and that's like the real concern is that like there's various different groups that inhabit those spaces, and as you've seen in like the real world, um far-right marches like in charlottesville and things like that it's it's not just a bunch of 15 year old kids which is kind of the idea you get when you think about places like reddit and 4chan you've got like these 30 year old men and there there is obviously a, a, a major demographic here ugly white men um they're all very very ugly uh not to base people on their looks but jesus christ guys um you know work out a little yeah, like, I mean, get a good haircut. Jordan Peterson, he looks like a fish trying to talk, but having learned only half of a language. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow there's Canadian English rolling out of it. Yes, he he looks like someone who's come halfway through a David Cronenberg um, horror movie effectively um but but the the people who are sort of like inhabit those alt-right spaces it's not just sort of like the bottom dwellers as it were that people think of when you think of someone who's who's who is like a member of 4chan who posts nazi memes it's all sort of people that do it um which is part of the reason why it's so scary um yeah like it's the, also- the people the students in the class of this professor i can't even remember where i saw it but i assume that these are, you know, mostly just reasonable young men who just happen to have seen a trend and now it, that it seems mainstream, you know, it's 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 outside of 4chan. It's it's mainstream. These are this is a hardback book published by Penguin that you can buy in bookshops and it's in the window of every bookshop. Like it's as mainstream as you can get, right? So people who might have thought that 4chan was a bit too nerdy for them or not even really know what 4chan is because mostly they just like to drink beer and watch sports now they have an outlet for every single little feeling of injustice and it gives prudence to that and yeah it's like it it's kind of like the it's it's effectively like a gateway to that level of thought so taking jordan peterson's work on its own it's just 
mediocre stuff that someone's uncle would say at a dinner party that you'd find irritating and like it might as well be called uncleisms but then you but then you look at like the proponents of it and you look at some of the people that incorporate those kind of alt-right spaces into their into their overall ideology who are sort of holding up jordan peterson and even though he's a his ideas are very very mild like they're not they're not anywhere near the level of extremes that even the next level down of the alt-right appear um it's kind of it's seen as that ease easy way into that kind of philosophy um so like and i'm i don't know how much of that jordan peterson is aware of that he's basically being used as a tool by these genuine nasty people i don't think he is i think he keeps himself blissfully unaware because the money's coming in the likes are racking up his fame's racking up it's all running away from running away with itself and he's just kind of he can kick back and let it happen. So I don't think he he bothers. I don't think he cares. Yeah, which is which is an issue in itself, but like yeah, I think the, the there there's probably going to come a moment where he's going to say something where the people that have so far propped him up disagree with it and it's all going to get quite nasty because that's what often happens when you have people that are like the palatable face or the very mild idea that or 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 who sort of push the very mild ideas that those kind of core beliefs come from where they'll where he'll turn around and say hold on a sec like this racism stuff that's going on within this community is quite bad and then someone else is going to turn around and say you've sold us out jordan peterson you're part of the the you're part of the elite and you've always been part of the intellectual elite blah 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 and it's all going to get nasty sjw cook yeah it's all going to get a bit nasty effectively yeah um, well, I I googled I just googled Jordan Peterson Mean Girls to see if there was any link. And the top link is on a subreddit dedicated to his work, which is titled "How Do I Talk to Girls and Slay the Dragon." What does that mean? And then there are three videos: Jordan Peterson, Why Women Prefer Bad Guys; Jordan Peterson, Why Women Love Jerks; and then one called "Men Can't Control Crazy Women." It's great. I'm not going to dignify any of those by watching them. No, and and that's what I mean is that like Jordan Peterson's stuff is all very much sort of like gender centric and sex centric. Um, yeah, but so I the- bet you he's never even seen Mean Girls, much less <laughs> gotten any enjoyment out of a very enjoyable film. Am I right? That's true. Yeah, I I I, I highly doubt he's been too busy telling. He's been too busy acting like the slightly disappointed father of the internet to spend time yeah. watching Mean Girls. He's been too busy telling us all to man up, yeah. Yeah, because that's what it comes down to, is it's like, he's not saying anything radical. He's saying what people, th- he's saying what a British Sergeant Major thought back in 1957. <laughs> yeah. That's his philosophy. He's, he's, like a sh- he's like a shit Churchill. <laughs> well, I haven't seen anything racist from him yet, which makes him better than Churchill. <laughs> This is true, actually. As um, far as I know, he's not he's not a war criminal. Yeah, he's not a war criminal yet. So, fair play, Jordan Peterson. Although he is a disgrace to Canada. My beloved nation of Canada. <laughs> so, so sad. I can't believe that him and the Toronto Blue Jays operate in the same city. It's not fair. I wonder, Shouldn't be allowed. I wonder what baseball team he supports. 
I don't I don't think he likes baseball. It's probably not manly enough for him. I don't know. I think it's one of those hyper masculine sports. Yeah, I don't know. He probably he probably dislikes that some baseball players are fat. <laughs> He's probably only into like Greco Roman wrestling or whatever. Um I'm gonna search Jordan Peterson baseball. <laughs> no, don't do it. <laughs> don't ruin me. <laughs> <laughs> As far as I can tell, aside from certain athletes called Jordan Peterson, he has not given an opinion on baseball, which means that I reckon oh, he likes well, that, it. That's a relief. That's good to know. <laughs> I think he likes it personally. You'll get a like from him. You'll yeah. you'll quote you'll post a tweet about the Blue Jays and you'll get this rogue like from Jordan Peterson because he's been searching for it. <laughs> you know what? We should get him on as a guest but get uh, find like the sappiest film that we can find. Like the girliest rom-com and see what, <laughs> and see what he makes of it. Yeah, I'd be game for that. And that or The Bridges of Madison County, obviously. When we do the um, 100th episode special and we re-watch it. We could get him on as a special guest. What we should do is we should invite him on for two episodes. And the first episode is The Bridges of Madison County. And then we'll be like, now, Jordan, I know that that was kind of a masculine film. But don't worry, we're going to let you get into your ideology because we're going to watch, I don't know, Beauty and the Beast next or something like that. <laughs> um, and then yeah. and then we'll be like, turn up to the next episode. And then we'll be like, hi, we've got another special guest, Jordan Peterson, and we're here to talk about the Bridges of Madison County again. Hi, Jordan. <laughs> See, I reckon he he hates it because Clint Eastwood cries. He, I bet he watches it. He's going to be shouting at the TV, like, stop crying. <laughs> but it's a, man, crying. it's a manly cry. Yeah. No, I don't think any crying is allowed in Peterson <laughs> land. No crying in Peterson ball. <laughs> Oh dear. Anyway, uh, Mean Girls. Let's let's yes. let's chat Mean Girls. Yes. Let's park park the Peterson. <laughs> um, yeah. So 2004. We were 16. Did uh, did you watch it at the time that it came out? No, I watched it at uni. That's when I first saw yeah. it. Yeah. Me too. I um I did not watch it at the time because being 16 in an all boys school, it was just never going to happen. No, no I'm not going to say that we were sexist, but we were sexist. You'd never like dump on a, a film because it was it was like a girls' film, but you'd just think like like it wasn't really for you. So, and, which is and, a shame. And obviously and now we're addressing that. But I think the other issue there is obviously that it wasn't targeted at men or boys. It wasn't marketed at them either. So it never really would come onto our radar. But at the same time, when I was sixteen, I had quite a lot of female friends, but I don't remember it ever coming up as. A potential watch at the cinema anyway that's interesting because yeah. one of the reasons i wanted to watch it is because of its insane popularity and its endurance but how it has permeated into popular culture and certainly meme culture as well i mean you might as well call it meme girls <laughs> and <laughs> thanks paddy that's great <laughs> um, i saw a, a gif from it just today also yeah. is it gif or jif uh, I say GIF. Anyone who says GIF is an idiot, including the people that made GIFs. I agree. I agree. Um, I bet you Jordan Peterson says GIF. I bet he does. Um, 
but yeah it's it's one of those things where i think it's become more popular and more enduring over time as well in that yeah i don't really remember anybody at my school or at my college really talking about mean girls um and it was only when i reached university that people started talking about it and saying oh there's this really fun film and watching it then um and at that point it's incredibly funny but i think every time i watch it i enjoy it a little bit more yeah um it's a there's there's more there's depth to it that you don't quite realize um and i i absolutely agree I th- this was only i think the third or fourth time that i'd seen it maybe hadn't seen it in a long time but there are things that i definitely don't remember being there the first time like i completely forgot about the opening and there's the <laughs> the like religious like homeschooled kids with the buck teeth and stuff which is a little on pc a lot of it is a little bit on pc but didn't make me chuckle it sort of walks that line doesn't it yeah it's on pc without it being actually offensive so you can you can laugh at it because it kind of it knows what it's doing and it's not being nasty about it that's exactly it it's not it's never mean-spirited it for a film called mean girls it's not mean-spirited in any way which is which is shows you how well written and well put together it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's yeah, it's one of those it's one of those movies that like it's a real feel good film, um, and and it's a very cozy and comfortable watch. And I think that's part of the reason why every time you watch it, it's still enjoyable, is that it has that kind of satisfaction every time you see it, as it were. And yeah, you know, it was written by Tina Fey, who is great potentially problematic because didn't she do a racism at the at some awards a few years ago yeah I, there's been the odd thing with tina fey um i think she walks the line doesn't she of some stuff that can come across as mean-spirited when attempting to derive comedy from um, political correctness or the lack thereof but again i think i feel like no one's perfect and like the amount of funny stuff she does quite easily outweighs it. Um, and she also has the issue of being a left-wing proponent in the writing world and in the comedy world, and therefore being subject to much more scrutiny than some other people. Yeah, um, that that's true, actually, yeah. and so, People don't scrutinise men in the same way. No, or, or not only men, but also people who are so outright left-wing in their politics um there's that kind of then seen as this moral obligation to be constantly and consistently on the right side of things like political correctness um and like i i some things i i think a lot of people get a little bit too worked up about things um well, we're we're living in the age of Twitter outrage, aren't we? Yeah, and so like everybody on every single side gets incredibly angry, and then forgets about it five minutes later, and it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's it's fine. It, it like like you'll see things and you'll think like there's some genuinely nasty shit out there from people, um, yeah. But at the same time, there's other things where it's just like a little bit incorrect that people kind of get worked up about a bit unnecessarily. Yeah, it's much more worrying that Jacob Rees-Mogg is out there kicking cats and throwing fish in the river, you know. Yeah, when Jacob Rees-Mogg can stand in the middle of Oxford Street and literally behead a hedgehog and then pull (laughs) off its pines and eat every single one individually um, 
and then flying off with his bat wings and no one bats an <laughs> eye, um, that is much more dangerous than Tina Fey saying something where people think, well, wait, maybe you should have said something about black people. Yeah. Um, and again, we live in mad times. Yes. And it comes down to effectively um, people not being entirely aware of every single issue that they should be aware of. And that's just naturally going to happen. Um, yeah. And I think, like, in an age where Donald Trump is president and members of the mm. conservative, like, prominent members of the conservative party are having meetings with white supremacists and the Labour Party can have outright Holocaust denial going on behind the scenes. Uh, yep. You need to pick your battles. Or in front of the scenes. Yes. Uh, you need to pick your battles a little bit better um, yeah. than someone who generally does good and says something wrong. You can quite, you can, you can happily bring it up and then they'll learn from it. Um, this but, is true. But starting a boycott against someone because they said something that's slightly wrong and then apologised for it is a bit unnecessary. No, I don't think anyone should hashtag boycott Tina Fey. She no. said some things that are tone deaf and not every joke has been politically correct. But as I agree, overall, she's a force for good. She's very, very funny. She's had a really, really long and interesting career as well through Saturday Night Live, through to Mean Girls, which she wrote. Although it is based on a non-fiction self-help book. Like, what is it with romantic comedies or comedy films being based on these kind of weird books? And the book's not being popular because um, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days was a similar kind of thing, right? Well, I think How to Lose a yeah How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days was um, was that kind of thing, wasn't it? Um, and there was another one uh, we watched where it was based on a self help book as well, wasn't there? Um, um, ten things I hate about you. Was it was it Ten Things I Hate About You? <laughs> yeah. How to it was how based to... on. Um, how to tame the shrew. <laughs> Ten things you need to know before you... <laughs> well, you won't believe what happens after this... After Willie Shakespeare tames this shrew. Um, uh, uh, there was another one that we that we watched that was based on a self-help book as well. Um, yeah, there, that seems to be an interesting trend that until we started digging deep on these films for this podcast, I had no idea was the thing. I find it very interesting. Yeah, it's clearly something that went on. And it's probably something to do with the fact that buying the rights to these kind of books is incredibly cheap. And then it maybe it makes your film sound more interesting than it necessarily would do initially. Yeah, or just provides you a bit of a slightly interesting springboard onto which you can easily graft and derive some humour, which in this case derives from the idea of sort of high school tribes. Yeah, Um and like the the duplicitous nature of high school, or, yeah. or or like the idea of deception in high school and that kind of thing, um, and uh, and and yeah, it's and and it works incredibly well. I think the way that it it builds that it does. It's it's very very funny. So you got her parents who have homeschooled, raised her like homeschooled in Africa. And she's come over to America for the first time. Her dad's the janitor from Scrubs, who I love. I can't remember his name, but he is very, very funny. And will always be the janitor from Scrubs to me, even though I'm sure he's done loads of other very, very good roles. Yeah, Neil Flynn is his name. Um, Neil and, Flynn. And he's good in, name. He's in uh, The Middle. Is it called The Middle? Oh, yeah. Which is... That's the Malcolm in the Middle spin-off that is bad, right? <laughs> 
uh, I don't think it's got anything to do with Malcolm in the Middle whatsoever. Oh, okay. Um, wasn't no, wasn't one of the actors from Malcolm in the Middle in it? I don't think so. I don't think it had anything to do with Malcolm in the Middle. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But anyway, it, it, it follows the that problem similar... with Malcolm in the Middle is that it had a theme tune that was a thousand times better than the content of the show. That is true. Um, Such a good song. Oh, maybe it did. Maybe that. Maybe you, the young. Maybe googling? the young kid was in Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah, the young rap boy. But looking at his things, I don't see anything there about. I don't see anything there about Malcolm in the Middle. Oh. So I don't necessarily well, think that they were. I've seen the middle for all of ten seconds, and it was not good. It's it's a it's it basically fills that same place as Malcolm in the Middle as a sort of dysfunctional family comedy and it's fine it's it's a decent enough show um I'd say it's probably got a little more intelligence behind it than Malcolm in the Middle um and like yeah so it's much better than most of the kind of sitcoms that go on but it fills that same kind of bracket as Modern Family where it's the characters are genuinely endearing and it genuinely has a lot of funny moments in it so even though it's nothing that rocks the boat there's still there's still worthwhile stuff there. Um Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so Neil But he's um he's great in Mean Girls as so the yeah, their dad. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah. But they, it's like even because like she's homeschooled, but you don't know anything about her parents, but it's like they don't know anything either. And they really play on that in a really funny way. It's like he grounds her and then it's like she goes out and the mum comes up to him and is like, Where is she? She went out. It's like, oh, she's grounded. They can't go out when they're grounded, and he's like completely straight face. He's great. It's yeah, it's really good. They're 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 like the uh, anti parents of Easy A, where yeah. where where they've got that savviness to them, where they understand everything that's going on, uh, much more so than they led on to their daughter. Here, there is a an a, a, an ignorance of how life operates that sort of permeates throughout the entire film from from her family and her sort of ideas basically yeah that's very very good so that's that's quite a good setup and the the pace of this film is really really good it's only an hour 36 so relatively short compared to some other films that we've that we've discussed but it's good it's a good length in terms of just it does what it needs to do in the time that it needs to do it and doesn't drag anything out so all of the scenes are really, really sharp. And I know a thing that I often complain about is scenes being too long. This film, you know, the scenes are all really, really, really good length. You know, it gets the exposition out of the way. Does it? Dumps her into the class. It's great. She's suddenly there, knocks over the, the donuts and the coffee. She's immediately causing trouble. And then she's hanging out with Lizzie Kaplan, who is wearing a T-shirt that just says rubbish on it, which is just so good. <laughs> Especially as that's not really like an American word. Because they use the word garbage and the word trash for where we use the word rubbish. I think that, you know, we have the band Garbage. I think there's an American equivalent called rubbish. Oh, yeah. And that's plainly <laughs> where it comes from. Yeah. They're friends with Ned's Atomic Dustbin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, but, yeah, I, it, what you said about the pacing of this film is entirely accurate. And I think that's, again, something that's helped maintain its status as a go-to movie um, is that everything is so incredibly well-paced and every single moment of scripting is so incredibly well thought out 
Um, so, like, this is one of the most quotable movies of all time, I'd say. Yeah. Would you agree with and that, me on that's that? That's why I think, yeah, that's why I think it has really endured in terms of its popularity. I remember at university, everyone was quoting it all the time. Even just little throwaway things like, you go, Glenn Coco, <laughs> which is my fave. And it's like, who's Glenn Coco? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's, it's funny. And like, boo, you whore and stuff. Like, it's just all of the, the, quote, the quotable bits are snappy as well. And they're not quotable in a, like meaningful or philosophical way or like where it's trying too hard they're quotable in a way where it's like really just like dumb and snappy funny and that's that's part of its enduring popularity for sure yeah and and it all sort of builds into this larger picture um which is a movie that really toes the line of what you can do in a pg-13 comedy where like mm. just just behind the veil of these jokes there's an adult level of humor that that um that like uh ratings boards would not necessarily have wanted in a movie set in a high school and that's and that's yeah. another reason where like you can watch it as a teenager and really enjoy it and enjoy sort of like the overall plot and the comedy of it but then like as you're watching it as an adult there's still that level of intelligence behind it yeah, um, it never feels dumb. It just feels snappy. There's a lot of these kind of films just feel completely dumb and stupid in a way that you feel like you're getting stupid or watching them. Yeah, exactly. And like the, the the main plot of this movie isn't necessarily anything special in comparison to its peers, um, where girl is at new high school, makes friends, makes friends with popular students kind of betrays the unpopular friends for the popular ones sees the error of her ways everybody's happy and like that that's the kind of thing that you see in all sorts of movies really um but here because there's that knowledge behind it and that understanding of 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 how that kind of plot operates they can build other things around it so it isn't reliant on the core plot itself to Hmm. to make an interesting movie I would say that actually it's a character-driven film, even though the plot actually is really tight and works really, really well. Like, you know, there's the, the discovery in the, the, of the burn book at the right time, all these kind of things where it all moves on at the right pace, but it's character-driven. It's all about um, the relationships between... It's about relationships between women. And I watched it with my wife, and she said, you know, this is actually incredibly accurate. You know, some women still act like this. Some women, you know, the age that we are approaching 30, some women are still like this. So it's all, and every woman knows women who are like this and that kind of thing, even now, just as true as it was then. So she says. So that element of it, I think, is the main thrust of it. It's the, the, the character, the characters being brought to life and being relatable in that way. But, you know, I still found it funny as a man. I didn't need to relate to that that side of it. I just thought it was funny. No, and, and the idea that men can't relate to something like this is very disingenuous and kind of propelled by people like uh, like our aforementioned Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Um, Peterson-esque. Yeah. I, I remembered, uh, thinking about this, I remembered one time when we were at university, I think it was in our third year, I ran into you in the foyer of the Odeon Cinema and we'd just been to see, I'd just been to see with some, some menfolk had been to see Quantum of Solace, which I think is not only the worst Bond film, but one of the worst films ever made. Certainly, like, <laughs> like, <laughs> certainly the worst title for a film I could think of. 
and you'd just been to see Bride Wars with some ladies. And I thought, there, there goes, a, there goes a cool man. There goes a woke guy. You know, I felt very foolish and stupid. Um, Bride Wars is is shit, though. <laughs> <laughs> There's no getting around the fact that Bride Wars is shit. But like, yeah, you don't, yeah. And I think that's something that people are much more aware of now. Is like, and it's and it's one of those ways in which marketing has has changed is that people now can get much more of an idea about what a movie is before they go and see it so people still get duped by disingenuous trailers so like the the trailer for drive for instance many people were disappointed because they expected ryan gosling driving a car fast and there'd be crashes and stuff like that whereas in reality it's one of the most incredible movies of all time and it's based entirely on its cinematography um and and like so people can still get kind of tricked by things like that but it seems as though these days there's a lot less of that because there's much more awareness of what a film is and what it's about um so even when we were back at university it's like oh i don't i don't care if i'm gonna go see bride wars gives a shit yeah and you get trailers that like show you the whole film which is a kind of a separate problem, I guess. Which is which is interesting because it's almost like reverting back to how things were in the seventies and eighties, where um, where you would get these like five minute long trailers that detailed everything in the plot, with a narrator explaining everything in the plot and also the themes of the movie. Um, so it's yeah. kind of everything's gone full circle where you had that really sweet spot where where movie trailers were tiny. And like told you fuck all, and you had to work it out for yourself. Um, yeah, and it was amazing. And whereas now, like you, obviously everything now is back to how it was before, where you understand. So you have like, you have like the announcement of a trailer coming, which is like thirty seconds long. Then you have like the teaser trailer that's a minute long. Then you have the full trailer that's like three minutes long. Um, in the build-up to a movie's release these days. And and the one thing that always gets me right, and this is going to make me sound like such an old man, is that like before every single trailer now, you get like a three-second-long mini-trailer for the trailer before the trailer even begins. Do you? Yeah, if you look on YouTube and you look up like a random trailer for a film, uh, you'll get like, they, they put like this three-second really super-cut clip of the trailer there. To say, like, here's the trailer for this movie, and the trailer's going to begin now. Oh, and, well, and I'm going to type in Peter Rabbit trailer. <laughs> <laughs> because it's number one at the box office. Is it, How about that is it, for an Easter sh- shit egg? Is it, is it really number one at the box office? <laughs> it is. I'm going to go jump out of a window, Paddy. Okay. I'm done. That, that's done it for me. I'm out of here. There's an ad. Skip ad. Sony... Boom, Columbia. So no, it just starts with Sony Pictures Animation and then the bunny's running. I don't know why I'm narrating this to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Peter Rabbit cast. Um, but it's probably more prominent then in more dramatic movies than a piece of shit like Peter Rabbit the movie. Um, but like in a lot of in a lot of horror movies and a lot of thrillers, you'll get this really short mini trailer before the trailer starts. Yeah. And it's just like, why are you doing uh, so- this to me? I don't care. There's a comment on this video that says, this ain't Peter, this is Adam Sandler as a rabbit. <laughs> which which I think is unfair to Adam Sandler. As you know, I'm the resident Sandler apologist. I'm trying to think of whether I'd rather have an Adam Sandler Peter Rabbit movie or a James Corden Peter Rabbit movie. And I think I'd probably still come down on James Corden's side. What? 
I like as no. much you know how much I dislike James Corden, but I would still I would still choose him over an Adam Sandler, Peter Rabbit. <laughs> well, you know what I think? What an asshole <laughs> <laughs> I can't even remember what film that's from. Uh some fifty first dates. Oh yeah. Have we done it? We've done an episode on that, haven't we? I don't think we've done Fifty First Dates. Oh my god! Maybe I feel like I've definitely talked about Adam Sandler shouting "What an asshole!" <laughs> we definitely have. <laughs> uh, okay, well, we need to get round to that. We do. We do. Yeah. How did we get onto that? Peter Rabbit trailers. Yeah. So yeah, trailers are bad. Don't watch trailers. Yeah, trailers get out. You're rubbish. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, going back to Mean Girls, then. Um, so it's a, it's, it's very funny, and the performances are really good. Um, everyone, everyone seems in on it, and everyone yeah. knows the kind of movie they're making. Definitely, that yeah, all the performances are really good. They all are very believable as high school students, even though Rachel McAdams was twenty six, and this film came out the same year as The Notebook. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. I knew. So I knew she very, was very different. I knew she was relatively old in this because there's like a there's there's a less than ten year age gap between her and Amy Poehler, isn't there, or something like that? Seven years. Yeah, and Amy um, Poehler is so good as her mum, as like the cool mum. Yes, and they yeah. just kind of they don't they don't labour the joke either. That's that's what's really good about it. She just says a few kind of crazy things, and then they go upstairs to her room, and that's it. Like, but that which makes it all the more effective because there's so much. Any a lazier filmmaker would have dragged Amy Poehler's character out for several scenes, wheeling her out for shit jokes, but they didn't do it. They no. resisted the temptation to do that, and instead just made it a barrage of quotable lines. Yeah, and 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 it works really really well, and that and that's kind of similar for every character in it, where everyone's used sparingly, and it works incredibly well. Um, yeah and like the the other thing is that like this movie has like a, a narrative it has like a narrator but yeah it, but it works which is so rare as well because um, often that can be really boring and just kind of weigh it down yeah yeah it can um but here it, it works un- un- unbelievably well it's great yeah and it's almost it's almost in tribute to stuff like saved by the bell or like 80s shows where there would have been a bit of narration that was like wow how was i gonna do this what was i gonna do next and it's like it's sort of playing on that a little bit yeah but it, you it's might fun- be it's wondering funny. how i got into this situation <laughs> yeah reckless kind of thing. yeah <laughs> um um but but it kind of it shows that th- this is effectively what a decade after films like clueless yeah and it shows doesn't it that. It does. It feels that bit more more sophisticated in a way. Um, it doesn't feel like it's relying too hard on literary tropes. Although there is a moment when she gets up in class and says, Brutus is just as cute as Caesar, which is so good. <laughs> They're drawing a very, very good Shakespearean parallel because, of course, it has to be in there somewhere. Oh, yeah, but, of course. Yeah, it, it, feels, it very much feels like a progression from those kind of films, doesn't it? Yeah, it's 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 sort of it's taken what made those movies good at the time 
and kind of doubled down on the elements that people really remember about them and yeah. taken moved it on in its own spin made it very self-aware and created something that's um that's much more than just a romantic comedy it's so much so that the romance of this film is kind of unnecessary um, yeah the romance is is cheap and stupid yeah because like, because i'd even unnecessary i'd even question like obviously big boys don't cry isn't just about romantic movies um no. but about the movies that you wouldn't necessarily talk about as two nearly 30 year old men on a podcast it's a loose um, framework on which we hang our smelly opinions yes <laughs> but this is this is possibly the least romantically focused film we've done aside yeah. from like our special episodes i'd say where like she obviously fancies the cute boy but and she gets with him at prom but that's it right yeah it, it, and yeah apart from that it doesn't really um that there, there, there isn't really that romantic focus apart from occasionally throwing in bits of like jealousy into the script and like that friction between different other characters. And it's not really the framework. Yeah. The framework is about her relationship with other students at the high school. It's not the about romance, the romance. It feels more like a plot device than anything else. And as, as I said earlier, it's a character driven film. So the romance only serves the plot and not the characters really. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's there to, in, to bring a little bit of extra intensity between like the relationship between other characters rather than have its um have that as its core focus as it were yeah which is perfectly fine and i think actually it, that serves as a lesson to other films where they're incapable of n not getting bogged down in the romance if you see what i mean yeah yeah it's it's not really yeah it it it, it never feels like it's sort of in the way either it's just this little extra bit of flourish yeah and it's it's fun it's, it's a very good high school comedy but i um yeah it feels like there were lots of them in the 90s and then we had mean girls but i can't think of many afterwards that were very successful is that just me am i just drawing a blank on that well what I do you think i think the issue is that we we were then outside of the demographic of them we got um, old yeah, so we got old and we were no longer interested. <laughs> and like we we got blocked on social media by all of the people making high school movies, so we didn't find out about them. Yeah, um, like, you've got Ugh, you nineteen, twenty year olds get but out. You've you've got movies like Easy A, which were made in, oh, in yeah. like twenty ten. Um yeah. which which did that similar kind of thing. Um you've the got Will Gluck School. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um Gluckism. And there's been a handful of other ones as well. Um, there's been a handful of other ones recently so I think there's been a steady stream of it and every so years you get a really really good one um, that helps sort of like separate itself from the from the crowd um, so I don't think that that sort of genre has disappeared but I think like it comes and goes in pockets like, volca yeah, think... like volcano movies <laughs> yeah or mega shark movies <laughs> <laughs> But I think um, I think Mean Girls sets a sets a gold standard for those kind of films, doesn't it? Of trying yeah. to be quotable and funny, but not mean, and to be character driven, and all of those things that make it engaging. It's hard, it's hard to to match up. I think, but not every film has the weight of you know the Saturday Night Live people behind it. No, and that's true. Is like this had a really strong core group behind it, 
um and and that's really what made it special um obviously like the performances are great but that also comes down to the casting choices made where yeah. they where they really did a good job of bringing in the right people for these roles yeah definitely the principal he's great i can't remember his name but he is excellent oh uh yeah um oh what's he called gets his baseball bat out when they're all, <laughs> when they're all fighting and just walks into the corridor and then when he's like bollocking them all in the gym he's in like just his vest <laughs> yeah and and yeah it's um yeah it's really great um and like yeah even those minor characters are brilliant in it um and and like you've got obviously like Amanda Seyfried as well yeah um really great she's She's fantastic. <laughs> They're talking her, and she goes, "Oh, you're not stupid, Karen." And then she goes, "No, I am actually." <laughs> it's just like, so yeah, it's it's easy to sort of have a pop at her for being dumb, and that the it walks that line of her being her being dumb, but the things that she says are actually genuinely very funny. Yeah, <laughs> what is it? Like, there's a forty percent chance it's already raining, or something like that, right at the end. That makes me laugh every single time. Exactly. She gets to she gets to read the weather. So who's laughing now? Yes, exactly. It's yeah, it's uh, it's great. It, it and and like, and that's again that kind of shows off how un um, how unmean it is, how kind it is as a film in general. That like even a character who's kind of like the butt of many, many jokes between other characters in the film, like is never seen by people watching the movie as a subject of comedy just because they're like that. Yeah, exactly. No one's watching this film because they want to laugh in a mean way. They want to be entertained by the interactions between characters in the high school setting, which plays upon the meanness of high school, which is a real thing. But yeah, it deals with it in a light-hearted way. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is which is really good, and it's a real testament to it. Yeah. Although these these days, could you make this film now with social media, like with the burn book and stuff? Wouldn't they all just be like Snapchatting each other and whatever? Well, yeah, I guess. I guess that would probably be the main issue. Is that? Yeah, it would. It would be much more focused on some kind of social media thing much like sort of when easy a sorry to bring it up again but when easy a um sort of rode that line between social media before just before social media became massive um there may well be some kind of idea about having it all written down as a sort of club club mentality and to keep it away from everybody else yeah, um, it just it felt really refreshing to watch when Rachel McAdams is walking through like all the school corridors, just like throwing out all the flyers and the pages and slipping them under doors and stuff, because that's just a world away from how this kind of thing would operate now. And it felt, yeah, it felt nice in a way, comforting. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. There is this little bit of sort of like retro going on. Well, yeah, it's like it, like I said before, it's nice and cozy. It's like okay, yeah, it is. It is cozy in a way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Nice, a nice, need... a nice warm cup of tea, nice hot cup of tea, and a nice yeah. biscuit. You put your feet up. 
it's an easy watch. But I think part of its popularity and quotability and memeability is also to do with timing, where, you know, 2004, people people was, were online, people were on MSN, everyone was talking online, but the meme culture was only in its infancy, and this kind of thing managed to permeate, I think. You know, stop trying to make fetch happen and such. <laughs> yes, stop trying to make fetch happen. None for Gretchen Wieners. <laughs> Gretchen Wieners. <laughs> <laughs> Who's a, a funny name. Who's, and is a, a wonderful character as well. Yeah. She does a lot of movies on the Netflix now, supposedly. I haven't seen much of her work. But and has done, she's good. done lots of voice work as well. Um, it's a subject of lots of mean jokes um, from the people involved in... Uh, well, uh, is involved in the occasional mean joke from the people who make Family Guy because she was the original voice of um, Meg. Oh, right. Uh, but then left after series one. And then they got in Mila Kunis afterwards. Yeah, I did not know that. Um, and yeah, so there's the odd, uh, there's the odd moany sort of joke at her expense, and in Family Guy, where it's like, oh, sounds like someone's. The, the famous one is they, there's some Family Guy episode where they go back in time to the original episode, and and someone makes an offhand joke about like, oh, Meg sounds sounds different. It's like, oh, sounds like someone is just missing out on the opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah. something like that which is a bit mean and then they all decide to hang their heads in shame because they've made something that is so unfunny it's <laughs> unholy <laughs> oh dear family guy was good for like the first couple of seasons when we were in school and it felt like a breath of fresh air from the simpsons which you know not that the simpsons had anything wrong with it it's still golden to this day but yeah then it, it just descended into the worst kind of like absurdist with no purpose nonsense and just yeah it's just bad you know who loves family guy jordan peterson well probably (laughs) (laughs) my great uncle frank oh really he loves family guy he loves two broke girls he loves the big bang theory (laughs) oh there we go yeah what's funny is that like obviously american dad was a spin-off of family guy and everyone yeah. kind of hated it because it was quite rubbish. But you... Although, didn't they try and make it before Family Guy and they couldn't get it made? And it only then got made after Family Guy's popularity was able to get people to watch it? Maybe. I don't know. Um, but but what's interesting about it is that it um, it got good. And like so the first few series of it are, are really kind of, oh, it's, it's, it's Family Guy, but they've got some heavy-handed political commentary here and there. Um, but then they kind of ditched the, pol- the politics side of it and it just became this kind of absurdist, stupid comedy. And it kind of achieved things that Family Guy hadn't been able to achieve for a very long time in terms of its comedy. And it, it's it's genuinely, I wouldn't say it's good, like necessarily, but it's it's funny. <laughs> and sometimes that's what all you want, isn't it? I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. It started getting funny again. Wow. Whereas, yeah, I've only ever just seen like the odd clip of sort of late period Family Guy, but it makes me despair. I'd I'd rather read Jordan Peterson's book than, <laughs> than watch like late period Family Guy. But I think it's it's one of those things where it's very hard to keep a show running. Um, it, it's very hard to keep a, a show running, particularly an animated show, and keep that kind of thing going for so long. 
Yep, definitely. It's it's really you should always tricky. quit while you're ahead. Yeah, um, and like some shows manage to do that and manage to sort of leave it at the right time. Yeah, but like, have you of... have you seen Crazy Ex Girlfriend? Uh, no, but I've heard very good things about it. My God, you have to watch it right now. It's so good. It's one of the best comedies like of of this era. It's so good. But they've just announced that they're going to do a fourth series and it's going to be the last one and that's going to be it. And I respect oh, okay. that decision because they've done three so far that have been really good. If the fourth one's a bit of a letdown, then you still have you know three quarters of the material is still really good. You wouldn't begrudge it necessarily. But if they keep dragging it out forever, you'll be like, oh, whatever. Yeah, and and that's the thing is that sometimes you want to make that, um, you want to make that call. Yeah, no, it is fantastic. I implore all of you to watch it right now. It's one of my favourite shows ever. Now, honestly. Oh, cool. Okay. It does it does musical comedy in the most brilliant way. See one one show that I've started watching um, is I finally got around to watching. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, so uh, good. Which I, I'd, I'd been hesitant to because it had been going for so long. It's like, My oh. dad's going to be so pleased. And it's it's absolutely hilarious. And I think I'm on series four now. Uh, oh, okay. So I've, so oh, I've still got so like eight ahead. series to go. Um, you haven't had the Dayman and the Nightman yet. I have had Dayman and Nightman. Oh, okay. That's still, I think that is still my favorite episode. The, wait, have you had the one where he does a musical, though? The um, Nightman Cometh. Yes, The Nightman Cometh I have seen. I think that's my favourite episode. Um, yeah. Which is, yeah, it's, it's so funny. And every so often I'll get that, um, I'll, I'll get that, uh, that song stuck in my head. It's been happening a lot in the last couple of weeks. Damon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even hit it. Uh, I'm a failure. He's a master of karate and friendship. <laughs> Shall we request to the other members of the band that we do that as our cover version? Yeah, definitely. It's quite simple as well. So, you know, three chords. Yeah. Yeah, we can do that. We've got time to learn it. In fact, in the middle, it like breaks down and there's a clapping bit. So you get the audience, get the audience. On yeah, side. exactly. Easy. Um, what I love oh, about I'm so it, glad I'm so glad you like it what I love about it I is think... that nothing ever works oh. out for them nope <laughs> it's always Which... right back to square one yeah everything's everything's the same um, but at the same time the character arcs over the series are incredible yeah I think yeah. I'm on series 11 and there are there are still a couple more after that, but yeah, the way that the characters have developed and changed, whilst also still remaining exactly the same, that's genius in and of itself. But yeah, every episode is great. It's yeah, I love it. Um, I finally reached the bit where you see Charlie's big map of like he's drawn that like big map of things from when they're working in the office, um, and I'd and I'd always seen that in memes and stuff like that, and be like, oh, that's funny. I know it's from yeah. that show what I've not watched. Um, Isn't that like um our main man Prison Planet? Doesn't he have a big map? He he does. He has a big map that I imagine he probably <laughs> got by buying copies of the Daily Mail and sending off vouchers and then they <laughs> send it to him in the post. He yep. was the one person who actually collected all the vouchers. He painstakingly cut them out of the top right hand corner 
um, the the ultra right hand corner of the Daily Mail. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, and and yeah, and then sent them off, and then they were like, "Oh shit, someone's actually done this. No one's ever done this before. Where are we going to get a map? Quick, intern, Photoshop us a map. What what the hell is someone who reads the Daily Mail doing interested in the rest of the world? <laughs> yeah, they'd be like, so where is that country, Africa? <laughs> Oh dear, um, we we make lots of fun of the Daily Mail, and that's because it's awful. We do. So it's poison. Get in the bin. Literal poison. If I ate it, I'd probably die. Word poison. <laughs> um, oh dear. Um, uh, uh, do you have anything else to say about about Mean Girls? No, I I think that's it. Um, I thought it was a shame that Damien, the gay character, didn't get a prom dance at the end, but it also might have felt manufactured for him to just suddenly fall into the arms of a suddenly hunky guy. So, I don't know. I felt I felt like he deserved a dance. He did, but at the same time, he got the dance of all of us. The metaphorical yeah. dance. The dance of... He danced, he danced with my heart. Yes, the dance of the utmost respect of everybody watching. Yeah. He's great. Yeah, he's amazing. He again, it's one of those great characters that's not overused. It's just like pitch perfect for for every single scene that they're in. Yeah. So no, I don't think I have anything else to say other than that it's it's a very very good teen comedy. Sets a very very good standard for the rest of them. Lots to love, and you notice little things on each each you know. Um, each subsequent watching it's always worth revisiting every now and then yeah very very good teen comedy yeah no i'm I'm digging it i'm digging it a lot and it's just as good to watch again now as it was when i first watched it if not better it's yeah it's yeah it's a really nice film very well done yeah so how how shall we rate it mm. how many pages in your burn book uh, that's that's what I was thinking. Hey, there we go. Yeah. Great minds. Um, I will give it a seventeen. You know, it's not. I don't know that it. Like, I don't necessarily love it enough for it to get to the the heights of the eighteen or the nineteen. But it's very very good, very very solid, very funny, and always enjoyable. So, it deserves to be in that kind of range. I think. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I agree. I'm going up for um mm, I'm going I'm going a little bit down on yours. Uh I'm going for fifteen. And like I feel like I can't give it higher than that because there's no romance involved. Really. This is true. So I don't you feel want like more, more smooching. Because otherwise we could talk about Robocop on this podcast and I'd have to give it an instant twenty out of twenty. <laughs> even though it would not be suitable. <laughs> The only film that you would ever give twenty to, the Robo. Well, if if this was just a general romance, uh, if this was just a general film podcast, um, then yeah, RoboCop. I, I mean, I, I, I'd still toy with the idea of having a purely RoboCop podcast where yeah. we talk about RoboCop and its sequels and its TV shows. Um, <laughs> well, of, you know, the only film that I would terrible. give twenty to, Bridges of Madison County. <laughs> well, three no. D. <3D. laughs> Um, no, um, Airbud seventh inning fetch. Oh, that's true. I mean, that is an all-time classic. It's the greatest film ever made. Either um, that or Beethoven. Beethoven is awesome. Um, Beethoven, yeah. like serious contender for the best film ever made. 
So yeah, I'm giving it a 15. It's it's a very very funny film. I like it a lot. One one of those movies where you can put it on at any point, even if you watched it literally two hours beforehand and still enjoy it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I can't I can't give it much higher than that just because. Yeah, I it's it's very good, but is it great? Does yeah. does it give me the feels beyond making it doesn't me laugh? do anything to achieve true greatness? No, but it ain't trying to. No, it's trying to be a very good, funny movie, which it is. Yeah, it's a it's a it was a B student, you know. It was never going to take the higher paper on GCSE maths. Yes, exactly. No, it never going to take the extension <laughs> award. <laughs> yeah, it was it was happy with its A level grade. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Nice. So, do you want to tell us what we're going to watch next, or do you want to do the results of the hashtag cage challenge? Next? Oh, shall we do the results of the cage challenge? All right. We had a little a little text exchange before we um, before we recorded this. So, you know, we we'd like to thank you all for your entries to the cage challenge. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes and don't know what the cage challenge is. Go on YouTube and type in hashtag cage challenge and you'll find a bunch of videos with a scene, a very romantic scene from Captain Corelli's mandolin of Nicolas Cage playing the mandolin with his big horsey sad face to try and woo Penelope Cruz, who looks very, very bored throughout with all sorts of songs thrown on top of it. You know, got the likes of the Saw Doctors, um, a bit of um, Nicolas Cage tuning his mandolin for two minutes um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah some really really good entries but the number one has to go to friend of the podcast Adam Molesky who threw down a little bit of acoustic guitar music I didn't recognise but then just changed it into you know he trolled us so best trolling rather than going for the dragging the joke out for two and a half minutes like I did by fading in the whole of sexy and I'm sexy and I know it gives us 15 seconds and then just drops us a surprise cage at the end and that's it perfect boom done yeah and all of the entries made me laugh um but that one made me laugh the most just yeah, for the rogue, just for the rogue cage at the end uh had me had me yeah. chuckling long beyond the runtime of the actual video itself so yeah rogue that cage. so that is our our, our winner Winner of the Cage Challenge. Friend of the podcast, Adam Molesky. Well done. So you'll win a portrait of Nicolas Cage done by each of us. Yes. Yeah. Um, I will be using mad Photoshop skills to create a masterpiece. And I imagine Paddy will be drawing something beautiful. I'll be using mad pencil skills. And yeah, so it's going to be amazing. Yep. You're, You're very, very lucky, Adam. So thanks to everyone who entered the cage challenge. What kind of challenge should we do next? That's the question. If you have any ideas for film challenges, tweet us at bigboysdontpod. Drop us an email, bigboysdontcrypodcast at gmail.com. Always want to hear from you and your challenges. Anything else, any correspondence, always love to hear from you. So yes. that's that out of the way. What are we watching next? Oh, yeah. So I have, I couldn't make up my mind. So I have three options, Paddy. Uh, oh, now it's it's my choice. Yeah. So do you want Weepy Weepy, Indie Indie, or Somewhere in the Middle? <laughs> weepy Indie. 
Um, that's actually that's actually very very tough. Initially, I lean towards indie indie, but actually, I think maybe somewhere in the middle is good. Might be a nice contrast. So, weepy indie, weepy indie. indie. Okay, we are going... indie weepy, <laughs> Win- <coughs> windy, 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 windy. Yeah. Um, in that case, we are going to watch a movie called Life Partners. I've not even heard of it. It stars Leighton Meester, who has one of the best names in the industry. Um, and it's about a, a codependent relationship between two women. Um, cool. That's good. And yes, it's it's an interesting movie. Because I don't think we've done a relationship between two women since Cloudburst. Maybe? Yes, so it Probably. so it kind of it's kind of well, I don't want to spoil it too much for you, but it's it's more akin to the focus of Mean Girls. Okay. And like that kind of platonic relationship thing. So they um, make fetch happen. They make fetch happen, exactly. Cool. That sounds good. Very good choice. All right. Do you have any other business? Um it's not your business. It's my business only. Um, no, nacho cheese. <laughs> nacho cheese. Um, no, I think I don't think we can leave on a higher point than that specific nacho cheese comment, Paddy. So, we better call it a day. No, we can't. So, yeah, this has been the Big Boys Don't Cry podcast. Um, please leave us a rating or a review if you like what we do. Always helps. Tell your friends. You know, share it with the world because you know we like to know that we're not howling into the abyss. And not just leaning over the abyss and going, Nicholas Cage. I mean, that's what I do whenever I'm at a cliff face. Uh, although <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be terrified at the day that he answers back. Yeah, he goes, yes, here I am. Not the bees. <laughs> it's a beautiful night. <laughs> <laughs> and we should think about the falling in love. <laughs> It's not even him that says it. No, I know, but it should be. Yeah. If you haven't seen Captain Curly's Mandolin, don't. (laughs) No, don't. What what you should do is find someone who's got the dedication to make an abridged version where it's just all of the funny Nicolas Cage moments. Yeah. Usually that would be one of us, but we're quite busy at the moment. Yeah, we've got a bit on. Um, But someone, I'm sure someone out there has done it already. Yeah. Someone who loves you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Cool. On that note, we'll be back next week to talk about life partners. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Right. Bye bye. Bye.